The following audio is from Village Community Church. For more information, please visit www.villagecommunitychurch.net. Would you please open your Bibles up to 1 Timothy? Last week, um, Pastor John Payne brought a fantastic message um, uh, on the gospel, and it was a blessing to have John here. And, and the week before that, we did somewhat of an overview of the book of First Timothy and the purpose and, and who Paul is and who Timothy is to Paul. And in and, and this first chapter, we're going to actually cover um, the whole entire chapter one. And I, may, I know it may seem like a lot to bite off, but I just, uh, it, it would take we could probably preach through 1 Timothy for a year and a half if we um, picked every single part of it. But I think what God's calling us to do is to get uh, a very deep but yet general understanding of what it means to be, again, subjectively, a great church. And I've titled this uh, series, um, A Shepherd's Guide for a, a Great Church. And in, in, in this first part, we're going to just see chapter 1 where, where, where Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, kind of rekindling this relationship that they've had with one another as they journeyed and as they've traveled together. Um, but you can see this intimate conversation and this charge that Paul um, gives to Timothy. But what I like to do is just pr- uh, read and we'll pray and then we'll get started. So uh, bear with me as we have a lot to read um, and I'll do my best to, to, to keep it flowing. 1 Timothy, we're going to start right at at, at verse 1 and go all the way through 20. 1 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, and only God, be honor and glory forevermore. 
Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Merciful Father, we know these characteristics about you based on this text and many more. Father, I pray that this morning from that grace and your mercy, you would minister the truth to our hearts, Father. Lord God, you are a God that is incredibly complex, yet presents such a simple plan and a simple solution to be in relationship to you and i pray this morning father you would penetrate that to our hearts lord help me not to say anything that's contrary to your word lord and i pray for the hearts that that the eyes of our hearts would be opened as we sang to you earlier lord that you would open the eyes of our hearts and that you would speak to us what you want us to hear today in the name of jesus christ we pray amen There's lots of jobs out there. There's lots of careers. There's lots of different types of employments. Uh, I think in, in this church, we have um, people that are, are probably salespeople. We have people that work in business and, and in finance and, and engineering. And we have construction workers and machinists. We have teachers. And, you know, we have, we have all of these different careers. And one of the jobs that I did prior to this was construction. And, and some of you, many of you may already know that. Um, and some of you may have heard this illustration that I gave a while back. But while I was in construction, when you take a, a sheet of plywood and you need to cut that sheet of plywood to a specific length, you have to make sure that you cut that straight, right? And around the edge of the plywood is edges that are painted. And there's a reason why they're painted. The painted edge reveals that that is supposed to be <clears throat> a true side. So anytime I went to measure for a cut, if I took from the one side that was painted and measured and made my line and made the line here and I cut that line there and I used that piece of wood, I knew that I was pulling from a side that was true. That side was supposed to be perfect on, 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 on the one side. So if I took that same piece of wood and I needed to make another cut from that wood, I never pulled from the side that I already cut because that side was not necessarily true. And I think what Paul is trying to say here is that we need to continue to pull from the true edge, which is Christ. With all of these jobs that are out there, being in construction was one that really taught me a lot about how to stay focused on, on getting to the root of the truth and, and the proper truth. And I'll tell you this, I think that nothing will more quickly pervert, that's a verb, to pervert our church than when we or I turn away from the focus of the truth found in Christ and his teachings. And let me just say it this way, this scripture is going to show us that shepherds, and leaders and teachers must get this right first. In other words, if Christ is not the center focal point of everything in us and our church, we will quickly fall away from God's will from, for our lives and we'll look just like the rest of the world. We won't look any different. 
We won't stand out any different. We may stand out different in other areas, but when it comes to the message of eternity, we will not stand out. And I'll tell you this, our focus will determine our outcome. Paul looks at Timothy as one who is equipped for this very task, to charge these people with what they're doing wrong. Look with me quickly in verse 18. He says, This charge I entrust you, Timothy, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. So there's something about Timothy that's already been recognized and noticed by Timothy or by Paul and other people that he is equipped for this work to do his job, which is, in verses 3 to 7, is to, one, remain at Ephesus, and two, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. We've learned uh, in our, in our t- study time with Chip Ingram on Monday nights that when God comes after you about something to convict you of something or there's something that he wants to change about you, he doesn't come with you just to say, you know what, Jason, like, I just want you to be a better person. I want you to be a better dad. I want you to be a better pastor. I want you to have a cleaner mouth. I want you to have cleaner thoughts. I want you to, you know, no, he gets right down to the very specifics about what he's going after in your life. And this is exactly what Paul is doing here. He's coming after Timothy and he says, Timothy, you're not there just to make this place a better church. You are there first and foremost to one, stay, to remain in Ephesus and work out these problems that are going on. And what's the main problem? These guys are teaching different doctrines. They're devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation. And in verse 6, some have been swerving away from these and they're wandering away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding what in the world they're even talking about. Let's look specifically at what, what this is. Not to teach any different doctrine. Teachers are the greatest influences in our lives, aren't they? We're always learning from some sort of a different teacher. Students, you got teachers in school, right? I'm not going to ask you what you think about your teachers because you probably don't have a high value of them. But you know what? They are there for a reason to teach you. They're there to, to show you how to, how to learn and show you about math and show you about social studies. And I probably am not bringing up topics or subjects that are even in your schooling these days. But we had like history and social studies and math and, and gym, right? That was like my favorite thing was gym. Paul, as a teacher to the Ephesians, writes in Ephesians chapter 4. He speaks about uh, Christ giving us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And here's the goal in Ephesians 4. For unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is what Paul wants, wants these Ephesians to know. Remember, Timothy, he's, he's told here, stay at Ephesus. And Paul wrote that letter to the Ephesian church, and he says, I want you guys to, be, to, to look to your teachers and your shepherds and the evangelists for unity, for knowledge in the Son of God, to mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So who is it that's doing these things? Well, verse uh, 6 is not very clear. Certain persons. 
We do learn later on that Hymenaeus and Alexander got handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme anymore. We're not going to go totally into what it means to be handed over to Satan, but you know what it is? Uh, just in general, Paul's just saying, look, uh, they might need to suffer in order to learn what it means not to blaspheme the name of Christ. It's not that Satan's their teacher by any means. God's the, the ultimate instructor and the ultimate teacher. But he's saying, hey, they might need to just suffer and, and along with these other certain persons who are teaching this different doctrine. So these are the people, but what is it that they're, that they're teaching? Well, this word different comes from the root word hetero, okay, meaning different. So if we think of like a heterosexual, that means like there's a man and, and he has an attraction to the different, the opposite sex, right? There, there's something completely different. And what he's saying is that they're teaching a doctrine that is different from the truth. It's not in line with what we're, we're going to get to and talk about, which is the sound doctrine that Paul is telling them to teach. They're actually deviating from the truth. Back when I did construction, there were some guys that came in to install a garage door. And I may have told this before in the past, but I think this illustration still fits really well. There were some guys that came in to install a 16-foot garage door. That's a long garage door. And the foreman that I was working with noticed that as these guys are leveling each side of this 16-foot garage door, they were using a 6-inch level. Uh, so the guys that are laughing are understanding exactly what I'm talking about. We have a 16-foot garage door. They're using a six-inch level with one of the little bubble things in the middle of it, and they're trying to balance this whole garage door based on this little tiny space. And what happens if I get off just a little tiny bit? Eventually, we're going to be off this far. You know what I'm saying? So they may go, well, okay, we're, we're just about close. We'll, we'll, we'll try to make this one work right here. And, and what happens is, is if you're an eighth inch off over 16 feet, that's two inches difference. Imagine if you had a two-inch gap for your garage door. <laughs> they're not going to line up, right? That's a big deal. And what, what's happening is that they're not on the mark. They're teaching a completely different doctrine. Not only are they, are they, are they teaching a different doctrine, but they're occupied with it. Look with me in verse 4. It says, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. They are so devoted to it that they're occupied. It's like horse blinders. They don't see anything on the outside of it. And these guys are devoted in their teachings to myths and to endless genealogies. That's just things that are out there that we are not totally sure if this is true or not. And then we're just going to talk about this long line of like religion and, and who did what and who did this and who did that. And they're so occupied with this that they're missing the sound doctrine that Paul is telling Timothy to do. Years ago, when I took a hunter safety course, <laughs> This is probably a good thing, but one of the only things that I remember in the midst of hunter safety course was the statement of this, know your target and what's beyond it. They want you to make sure that what you are seeking to harvest is the proper target and know your surroundings of, and, and where it's going to go if you miss the target. So you know where you're at, you know what's behind it. And clearly these guys Number one, didn't know their target, nor did they have any idea what was beyond it. They thought their target was living and teaching the law, even though they didn't even know what the law was about. 
So they're teaching this. They don't even know their target, and they don't even know what's beyond it. You know what's beyond it if you're not understanding the sound doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hell. Hopelessness. Death. You know death. If the eyes of your heart is not, are, is not opened, that's the ultimate result. So can you imagine if the blinders were off of, these, off of these people's eyes and they were not focused on these things, they could see what was beyond that target of the endless genealogies and the myths. This was not a hopeful situation. And what does this create? Mind you, these are the teachers that are in Ephesus that are speaking this stuff. These are people that other people are listening to. And what does this do? Speculations. It promotes speculations and they wander away into vain discussions. This, this, these are discussions that have no, uh, no purpose whatsoever. You're, you're discussing things way over here uh, about rituals and rules, and, and you're not focusing specifically on the truth. You ever wind up in a vain discussion with anybody else? Never. <laughs> yeah. You ever find yourself, you know, like talking to Uncle Ted? And you walk away, and you're like, uh, with Uncle Ted, don't ever talk about money, religion, or politics. Because you know you're just going to end up in some sort of a discussion that you're just going to feel dumber after you had that discussion, right? And that's what's happening in the midst of this with what these teachers are speaking about. They want to teach, but they have no understanding of even what they say confidently. They have a confidence in what they're saying, and they don't even know what in the world they're saying. So Paul, remember we talked about how God uses our story to help other people understand his greater story? This is what Paul does. Paul, in his writings, like, he, he's, not, he's not making a living doing these writings to these people. He's doing it because his heart is saying, I really want to help this church out. And he's saying, you know, I'm just going to clarify this situation about the law. And then I'm going to tell my personal story of salvation. And that's exactly what he does. He goes into this little, this little rant. It's not really a rant, but he goes into this short little passage about the law. He says, if we know, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Apparently, they're not using it lawfully. Apparently, they're using the law, which is leading to speculation and vain discussion. And he simply just corrects them and he says, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners. And he goes to label all of these and, and, and he realizes he doesn't hit every single mark that, that, that talks about who the law goes against. But then he says, it's anything that's contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. You see what he's doing is he's taking these people that are off the mark and preaching about these things that, that are not the sound doctrine. He's inviting them to come back and focus on the sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Here's a freebie. What he's saying here is that the law doesn't apply to Christians. Now, I could probably preach like four sermons on what that means. But the reason why the law doesn't apply to Christians is because Christ came to fulfill the law so that those who gaze upon the glory of Jesus Christ are no longer condemned. That's why he says it applies to the just. 
the law does apply to those who are not in Christ. As a matter of fact, if you've broken one of the laws, you're guilty of them all. And there ain't one person in this room who's never told a lie. And if you say, I haven't, you're lying. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of what Paul is saying. He says, you're not held captive to the law because you have been made just. And he uses his story to tell you why. Look with me in verse 12. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength. Jesus, or Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he what? Judged me faithful. See that word judgment come up again? He judged him faithful. What do we know about Paul at this point in time? Anybody know what his name used to be? Anybody know what Saul uh, was doing with his days as before he became a Christian? Say it again. Persecuting Christians. Acts 22, this is, he gives an account right here. These are Paul's words in Acts after he gets arrested by people from Asia who are the Jewish people wanting to hammer down this law which Asia is where Ephesus is located at. They arrest him in Jerusalem and they bring him before all these people. And this is Paul, Paul's plea. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, who is a fantastic lawyer, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. Being zealous for God, as all of you are this day, I persecuted, as you guys just said, this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul had blinders on when he was Saul. He had blinders, and all he was thinking about was the law that he learned as he grew up. And when he saw this new doctrine, this new sound doctrine of salvation through one man that seemed a little bit too easy to get into heaven, he's like, that can't be. You have to live under the law. As a matter of fact, these people that are following Christ are so crazy, we have to eliminate them off the earth. Stephen being one of them as Paul sat there and held all the clothing while they threw stones at him. And Paul's going, keep it up, boys. We're going to kill some more. And Christ brings these blinders that helps Paul with a paradigm shift from legalism to grace and mercy. This is what he says. He judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, I'm in verse 13, persecutor and insolent opponent. That's a prideful opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Let me explain that real quick. Because when I first read that, I was like, you mean God gave you mercy because you were just ignorant and you didn't believe? And he just thought, oh, poor dude, he don't understand. Let me just give this to you. No, no, no. Mercy is not giving you something that you deserve. And Paul says it this way. He says, he gave it to me. He gave me mercy because I was ignorant. I ignored the message of the gospel that Stephen was bringing. I ignored this message from these people that were coming to tell me, you have to know the truth. And I just blatantly, uh-uh, I'm not listening to it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to persecute it. 
Mercy is what God gave him. God had every right to just wipe that dude out. But instead, he chose him to write the majority of the New Testament. That's mercy. Anybody experience that mercy? Anybody understand in your life that you deserve death and hell? You ever get caught up in a vain discussion and walk away feeling like the biggest idiot because you were like, man, why did I just get myself caught up in that? I don't deserve to be called a Christian. And yet God gives you mercy. And Paul says, look, God gave me mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed, verse 14, overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now he's starting to narrow this simple, sound doctrine down. Using his own personal life example to teach Timothy so that he can come and teach these leaders. And I want to speak to anybody in here who is not certain if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If you're still trying to work to somehow earn your way into heaven or earn your way into a right relationship with the Lord, I want to speak to you for just a moment here specifically because Paul, I think, says this to you. 15, the saying is trustworthy. This is the root of the sound doctrine Paul's getting at. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to give us Christmas, and he didn't come to give us Easter. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to be a good, nice man for people to gaze upon and think, you know what, he was a pretty good prophet. No. He came to save sinners. That's the pinnacle of human history. When God, he didn't kick Adam and Eve out, he ushered them out, sorry. When God ushered Adam and Eve out of the garden, he said, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to make this complete once and for all. And that is why Jesus came, is to save you as a sinner. And if you recognize the very fact that you are sinful, that you can't keep the law, that the law actually applies to you, well, let me tell you today, you can be set free from that. You can stand as Paul saying, I receive mercy for this reason, that as a sinner, Jesus Christ came to display his perfect patience for me. Can you imagine a guy who is a murderer of Christians receiving grace and mercy? And understanding that he can stand up in the public before many people, thousands of people, traveling all over, starting all the churches that began and began to flourish so that we can even exist today. Can you imagine that guy standing up? I mean, there are many times when I stand up here as a hypocrite, feeling like a hypocrite, teaching about crude joking and coarse language and Loving your wives well. I'm not perfect at that. I fail many times in those areas. But as a leader of a church, I personally have to be extremely focused on the gospel 
Otherwise, I'd never be able to get up here and tell you any of this stuff. And that's exactly what Paul is narrowing the purpose, as Erica lovingly said it earlier, that we do things on purpose for a purpose. And Paul looks at Timothy and he says, Timothy, this is what I'm looking for you to do. Look with me in verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 5 again. He says, the aim of our charge is, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So let's just recap this real quickly. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to charge, or the word is command. I want you to command these people that are teaching a different doctrine to teach the sound doctrine. And our aim, that is the goal, the goal of your local church, the goal of your leadership in that church, and the goal of what the church body is to look like is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is a paradigm shift. This is a paradigm shift that Paul is calling these leaders to do. Now, let's not forget that they've lived hundreds and hundreds of years under this law. Let's not forget the teachings that they've gone, like the kids have all been indoctrinated into this, that you gotta keep the law. And God gave the law in the beginning because it was good. He said, if you wanna be right with me, you gotta keep all these rules. And when you don't keep the rules, then we're going to send the high priest in so that he can make atonement for him once a year so that I don't kill all of you again. Because my wrath has to come against all sin. But instead, he put it out on Christ. Is that not love? To save you? To save me? To save hundreds of thousands and millions of people by putting his wrath out on one man? That is love. And it's issued from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is how that love is produced. In Deuteronomy 10, God commands the Israelites. This is Old Testament here. He says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And he goes on to say, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. The idea of circumcising the heart is getting rid of your sin. That pure heart that God gives to us is tainted by sinfulness. And he says, you know what? Cut that sin off of that. Remove all of that because without the circumcision of your heart, you will not have a pure, sincere faith and a good conscience and a pure devotion of love to God the Father. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. How easy is it to see God when out of our heart, Wickedness comes. When out of our heart, we experience things. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, lying, slander. We have to get rid of these things. That is wearing the breastplate of righteousness, folks. When you wear the breastplate of righteousness, that means you are understanding and grounded in that belt of truth. And you are living a repentant life. Where is it that God's trying to get at? Are there some things? When, when you put up that scripture verse, what a beautiful confession. Search me, O Lord. Search the depths of my heart. Know my way. It's not that God's going, let me see what's going on with Jason right now. It's, it's, hey, Jason, mirror, bam, this is what you look like. This is where you need to repent. 
This is where you need to stop sinning so you can have a pure heart and see God. And when we have a pure heart, we have a good conscience. Love comes from a pure heart and a good conscience. This is what I like to call the speck and log discussion. How many times have you gone to someone and had a conversation with somebody and out of love, you're like, hey, you know, I was just kind of wanted to tell you that in this area of your life, I'm seeing that this is sinful and you probably shouldn't do that. And that person goes, oh, yeah? Let's see all the things that you've done. Like laundry list of sin. We're calling the speck out in somebody else's eye when we got a log in our own eye. Peter says it this way. He says, when you are slandered because of your good behavior, the people who are slandering will be put to shame because of your goodness, because of your purity, and because of your righteousness. We couldn't stand to, to dialogue with one another about sinfulness if we still have it in our hearts. So we can stand there. We can love people well from a pure heart and with a good conscience. And finally, it's a sincere faith. Now we look at this word here that says sincere faith. And we think of like that's a, a, a dedicated and a devoted faith, which is proper, that is right. But the word that Paul uses here is actually like a negative connotation that means something like live, let me get this correct, live a not fake faith. Don't be fake. Don't be a hypocrite. The opposite of that is obviously being authentic and genuine. I mean, many of us kind of punch that, that Christian you know, that, that Christian card. Hey, I got my Sunday done. I did my study time. Um, I was really nice at work today. I didn't lose my mind uh, with this person over here. Um, I gave my wife grace. <laughs> that should be like a gold star for me for a while. Hold me over, right? Um, I only had uh, two beers in a three-hour time period, right? So uh, according to that makes me with this percentage of alcohol in my blood, right? Um, so like just... Living by what I like to call legalism light. I'm living by my own little law so that God's happy with me. Rather than focusing on the fact that Christ, he gave his life for you. He gave his life so that you can be set free. And this sincere faith, that just, that bleeds. I'm sure some of you in here know somebody who just has that sincere faith. That if you see him at the ball field, if you see him at their house, if you see him in the workplace, or if you see him at church, they're just the same person all over, all, all around. That's just a sincere faith. A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith is loving people well. And remember, Timothy is charged with telling these people that are teaching a different doctrine. He says, you need to tell the leaders and the influencers of your church to love these people well, which eventually produces, look with me in verse 4. 
He says, these people are devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations. What's rather than a speculation, we know the stewardship from God that is by faith. There's no questions about it, folks. You don't have to obey a rule, follow a law, figure out the path to righteousness because the stewardship from God was God giving his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but what? Have eternal life. And you know something, folks? That's why Paul ends his story with a worship song. I feel like this is a worship song. Look with me again. Together with Paul, we can say in 17, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, and only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. I can only imagine Paul writing this with his pen and just kind of pausing for just a minute to say, wow, Lord, you are amazing to save a wretch like me. Lord Jesus, you are doing this and having mercy on me to be an example of patience for morons. Having patience for the ignorant people that are blinded, focused on things that can lead them into vain discussions, things that are going to make you miss the mark. Paul says you need to know your target and what's beyond it. And the aim of their charge is Jesus Christ. If we take our eyes off of him, and we don't have him central in our church. Let me say this. This is not for you right now. This is for me. If I take my eyes off of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then somebody remove me, if God doesn't, from this pulpit. Somebody take me away from being a pastor and a shepherd and a teacher of a church if the gospel isn't the center of the things that I talk about. That's what I want to do for you, and I want to remain accountable to that. I don't want, sure, we're going to have discussions about baptism. We'll have discussions about elders, and we'll have discussions about styles of music, and maybe carpet discussions, and paint on the walls, or whatever that might be. But you know what? If the gospel is not the center of it, you know how well those conversations are going to go? We're going to wander off into vain discussion. People are going to get ticked off and they're going to leave. And they're going to walk away as a large majority of people have in, in these communities and say, you know what? I am done with church. These people are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. They argue about stupid crap and I don't want any part of it because there's no love involved. Go on. So, closing here. There's two paradigm shifts that I just want to point out. The first one is a shepherd's need to be Christ-focused. And I think uh, I made that pretty clear. I personally need to be focused in order to love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. I don't need to love to try to build up this church building or add more people. To that. God's job is to add people to the church. It's our job to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. And to do it, this is another paradigm shift. Rather than thinking about church life and, and being part of a church and in a family of how can I get involved and how can I serve and how can I do it? All of those things should come out of already knowing that you're in the family of God because of Jesus. I'll say this. Nobody's going to leave getting sick of me talking about the gospel if you're a true Christian. 
As a matter of fact, what I believe is if God stewards us to bring this good news message to people, he's going to use us to reach the rest of the people around us. And it's not for any personal gain by any means. If God brings more people, he brings more people. And I'm encouraging you to be that gospel message, not just you adults, but you students too. You have a purpose. God's working in your life right now. And he's using your parents, hopefully, to do just that. God is calling the people of the church to be a family in love. Let me end with this final illustration. I was at a conference one time, and they talked about the four different types of men in our church. Now, it was, it, was a, it was called Man in the Mirror, and they were speaking primarily to men and, and men's ministry, but this doesn't apply just to men. This is men, women, and children. There's four kinds, and I'll just say person. Number one is the natural person. This person is just not a believer. They may know about a God, or they may know about a devil, or whatever it is, but they're in the church, and they're just a natural person. They're not saved. They're just here. They don't know how they got there. Someone probably dragged them there, and they're just there. The second person is the cultural Christian. This person would identify him or herself as a Christian, uh, but they wouldn't say God's on their throne. They're still on their own personal throne. Right? They would say, I'm a Christian, but they might live one way when they're inside the church and then outside the church. You're like, what? I don't, like, that's some serious hip- hypocrisy there. And, and that person just needs a two-by-four upside the head and, and be brought to the truth. Number three would be a biblical Christian. This is somebody who recognizes that Christ is the Savior. They've invited God to be on the throne of their lives, but they still might wrestle with some sin and wrestle with brokenness and, and, and have a little, a little tough time, but they're really focused on themselves. And these are the people that some of the leaders need to turn and look at and go, you know what? I'm going to grab a hold of that person. I'm going to decide. I'm going to make them my Timothy or Timothy if you're a woman. That just came to me. I didn't write that down in my notes, and that was weird. So <laughs> trying to become all things to all people, right? You got to find those people. Anyways, we're going to get to that person. But this person here who, who, who is essentially a, a, a disciple who's ready to be discipled is not necessarily looking at the cultural Christian or the natural man to try to go after them and say, hey, I want to tell you the good news. They're still wrestling with some of their stuff, but you know what? They're showing up to Bible studies. They're going to coffee breakfasts and, 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 and the like. The fourth person, though, is what we would consider what I heard them say as the leader. And this person wakes up in the morning and says, Lord, what will you have me do for your will today? That person has God on his throne. That person has shaped and molded every aspect of his life from the truth that Christ died on the cross so he could be right with God. That's how that person is living. Everything they say, everything that they do is because they have the the gospel at the center. That dude lives like our words out here. Love, gospel, identity. They got it all. The gospel's at the center and I love God so much for what he has done for me. Therefore, I'm gonna love those around me with the same love that Christ gave to me. 
And I found my identity as this son that, that, that I'm not shaken. That, that person is standing firm with the armor, with the belt of truth attached to that breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. And they got that sword of the spirit in their hand and their shoes are ready to tell anybody the good news about Jesus. Not in some weird standing up on a box at three in the morning down by the bar kind of a way, but like literally, I just can't wait to find out this person's story so that I can say, hey, you know what though? The gospel can apply to you. What's true for me can apply to you. That's the leader. And, and that's who I would love to see all of us transform into. Can you imagine that? We literally have an influence of about uh, over 70 people in the context of Village Community Church. And I'm not going to stop encouraging every single one of these over 70 people to, to, to shoot to be a leader in this church, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, or whether you're a student. You students need to step up in your school lives, and I know it's not easy. It's very difficult to do so because we do have a school that's doing what? They're sending people. They're talking about myths. They're talking about endless genealogies. They're talking about your identity and that you could possibly be this, and you don't listen to the Bible in the midst of this. No, you just figure out what's right for you and live that way. And when someone wants to come in and say, hey, uh, could we possibly share the gospel message or the truth about Jesus with it? No, 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 no. You can't do that. But you can. You know something? Teachers can't. They're in a position where they, 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 it's hard for them to have this opportunity, but you students can. I'm inviting us here to a paradigm shift. I'm inviting all of us here to a paradigm shift of legalism light into deep relationship that with God the Father. And, and our, our, we are commanded to, to love from a pure heart, to live repentant lives that issues uh, from a pure heart and a good conscience, that we can stand before one another fully pure and, and clean, knowing that we've lived a good, righteous life and a sincere faith. And the reason we can do all of this is because we've been bought with a huge price in order to be able to do it. Let's not squander that gift that's been given to us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, this huge um, section in, in the book of First Timothy. Lord God, I pray that the things that uh, were talked about today, Father, that you would use to shape and mold us to be leaders, to be different, to be set apart, to not look like the world, but to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to have a heart like Jesus. Lord, point out the areas in our hearts that we need to circumcise. Point out those areas that we need to turn away from regular sin so that we can see you. For many times our sinfulness blocks our relationship to you. Every time our sinfulness blocks our relationship to you. Forgive us, Lord, where we have fallen short. Uh, pick us up the way that you've picked us up so many different times and set us on our feet, but the firm foundation is that centrality of the gospel in our lives, Lord. Thank you again for what you've done, Lord Jesus. Fill us with your spirit, and we pray in your name. Amen.